Welcome to Grace Church. My name is Sung. I'm the pastor, uh, lead pastor here. Um, and to all of you who are, if this is your first time or if you're watching at any of our locations or online, just want to say a big welcome to you. As we continue our series called Beyond the Manger, we will be talking about uh, finding peace in a violent world today. And just as a heads up, uh, violence, as we talk about this today, is a pretty intense and heavy uh, subject we're going to dive into, especially when you think of this world that is just so full of violence. You cannot turn on the TV newscast or read through your feeds without hearing or seeing uh, uh, something about violence, oppression, and tragedy. It may be a school shooting or it may be terrorist attacks. But um, when you look around our world around us, and it's not just the wars and the shootings and the bombings, there are some more subtle and hidden ways that violence is perpetrated in our world. One phrase that I want us to get used to, and I would like you to repeat it, uh, not just here, but at all of our locations, Violence is what happens when one person perpetrates oppression and violence to another, and basically what they say is, in enacting that violence, they are basically saying, your life for mine. Okay, so could, you, could we all say that together? Violence is what? Your life for mine. And so when you think of some of the global things, uh, issues around the world, one of them that comes to mind is, the 40 million people who are sold as commodities into forced labor, including 5 million women and children who are trafficked into the commercial sex industry. And so when the perpetrators commit that, uh, they are saying, again, in violence, they say, what is it? Your life for mine. When we think of culturally, we live in a dog-eat-dog world where we chew each other up and we spit each other out for our personal gain and for somebody else's loss. And it may not seem violence, but like violence, but it, it is an act of violence because basically inside we are saying, what again? Your life for mine. Domestically, uh, we hear and see uh, of marriages and families that are torn apart by conflict and uh, betrayal, verbal and emotional abuse. Domestic violence is just one of those issues that the church has not been usually faithful in talking about. Uh, the church has long been too silent on this, issues, on this issue. But, but in that situation, again, it is one person in, in the family that is perpetrating violence. And so in their hearts, they are saying, again, at all of our location, what? Your life for mine. When you take in all the violence that we see and hear in the news and in the world around us, it feels like an elephant sitting on your chest, suffocating you. And you just start to think, like, when will all this violence end? I have said this. I know many of you have said this, especially during the Christmas time. I've heard people say, all I want for Christmas is peace on earth. And so there is a longing and an aching in our hearts. We see how this world is broken and we envision God's promises to come here on earth as it is in heaven. But even as we ask those questions, those are questions that aren't new to our generation. Those are questions that not only God's people, but people throughout all humanity have been asking for centuries and millennia. 
In fact, they were asking that very same question, God, when will your peace come? When will all the violence end? They were asking that even during the original Christmas story. So we're going to dive into that story and immerse ourselves into the context in which uh, the birth of Jesus happened, and we're going to get a glimpse of the longing that God's people had even back then. So the Jews, God's people who were living at the time when Jesus was born, was living under Roman oppression. The Roman occupation had taken over all of their land, and so the Jews were essentially living as slaves in their own country. And so because of that, they longed for God's peace and justice to come, and and so they cried out, God, how long? And so they would pray, God, just show up. Would you come and rescue and deliver us from this? Would you put an end to all the Roman oppression that we are experiencing? And so in a very similar world that Jesus was born into, where God's people are crying out, God, speak to us. God, do something. Act on our behalf. When will the violence and oppression end? And so they had been waiting and waiting. In fact, they had been waiting for over 400 years. You see, if you take a look at the Bible, uh, the space between the Old Testament and New Testament, the last chapter of the book of Malachi, which is the last book of uh, the Old Testament, and then the first chapter of Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, that space in between in my Bible is just one singular page, and it doesn't seem like a long period of time, but that one single page in the Bible, in our Bibles, represents over 400 years. It's also known as the 400 year of silence because it was a time when God didn't speak. There wasn't a prophet that came to speak on behalf of God. And so there was nothing. So God's people were desperate because they hadn't heard from God in such a long time. And so what they would do, God's people, what they would do to keep hope alive every single year, they would hold a big festival, a celebration that they called Passover. And during the celebration, they would remind one another, and then they would teach their children the stories of how God had, in the past, rescued and delivered them from slavery in Egypt. God had sent a prophet named Moses, and God did amazing things. And so some of you may know the story of the Exodus, where the Israelites, they were slaves for 400 years. I don't know if that number sounds familiar. But for 400 years, they hadn't heard from God, and God, they cried out and waited for God to show up on their behalf. God finally sends Moses and delivers them. And so every year, they would celebrate, like we do every year, celebrate Advent and Christmas. They would celebrate Passover, and every Passover, they would say, just as God sent Moses to rescue his people from the violent oppression of Pharaoh, who was the, the ruling dictator of the time in Egypt, They would say, so God could and would rescue and deliver his people today, once again, through someone like Moses, this long-awaited Messiah who would come and set us free from the violent oppression of Rome. And so every year, they would celebrate that. They would look back and remember what God had done in the Exodus, and then they would look forward to the coming Messiah And they would look forward in anticipation of what he promised to do, which was to send a deliverer to rescue them. And so each year, they would look forward and say, uh, when will this prophet, who is like Moses, finally come? 
And this is where the, story's Christmas, the Christmas story comes in, right? This prophet, this long-awaited Messiah, we know as Jesus, he would come uh, to set God's people free. He arrives on the scene, not as a strong and mighty warrior, but surprisingly as a tiny baby infant, born in the arms of his mother, uh, barely lifting his own head, but crying out for the soothing of, of his uh, earthly mother, Mary. Uh, when you look at the birth of Jesus and you look at the birth of Moses and their lives, it's really interesting to see the contrast and comparison. So for example, Moses and Jesus were both born into a world where God's people were living under violent oppression. More than that, even more specifically, they were both born at a time when a king had issued a royal decree to kill all Jewish male infants that were born. And so Pharaoh issues that decree during the time of Moses' birth in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. And then Herod issues that same decree during the time of Jesus' birth in Matthew chapter 2, uh, verse 16. In fact, if I were to have started the sermon by saying, hey, today we are going to talk about somebody who a king tried to kill at birth, who was born in a crib made out of grass, who established a covenant between God and humanity, and who came to deliver God's people after they had not heard from him for some 400 years. You could say, oh yeah, that was Moses. But you could also say, oh, that was Jesus. And so Jesus, the coming Messiah, the one that we celebrate every Christmas, that we look uh, back and remember for what he's done and look forward to his return. We dive into one of the stories as he's an adult. He is invited to speak at a local synagogue. And uh, here, uh, this is his first public sermon, and he stands before the, the audience of the synagogue, and a scroll is given to him. He unrolls it, and he reads the words from the prophet Isaiah. We're going to go to Luke chapter 4, which tells the story of, of him in the synagogue uh, preaching this sermon. And so follow along as I read from Luke chapter 4, starting from verse 18. Here, Jesus is quoting scripture from Isaiah, and this is the message that morning. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, typically, after a religious leader would give a, a, a read a scripture passage like this, they would go on and define who this person is. You know, this person who's saying the spirit of the Lord is on me, and they would identify that as the coming Messiah who would come and bring good news, and he would set the captives free, and he would bring healing to the blind, and he would proclaim God's favor to, every, to God's people. But Jesus finishes the scripture reading, and he does something different. We read in verse 20, this is what he does. He, he, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so the crowds are just amazed, right? Here is Jesus, right? Isn't he Joseph's son? Like he's claiming to be the Messiah. He doesn't look like the Messiah, isn't the Messiah going to come and free us from Roman oppression? He's just a religious rabbi. What's he going to do? Right? And so here, here's the point I want uh, us to make. You have, when you look at Jesus and Moses, 
It's interesting because Moses came to the story of Exodus to set people free from the physical bondage as slaves in Egypt. He confronted Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Thousands of years later, Jesus comes and he comes to set people free from the spiritual bondage as slaves to sin and death. And so he looks at sin and death and he says, let my people go. This is not the Messiah that the Jews in the first century were expecting. Now, we live on the other side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and so we know and we receive him as our Messiah, that he has come to set us free, to forgive our past, and to give us eternal life. And I love what Romans chapter 8, verse 2, in the message, paraphrasing this verse, says that when Jesus arrived, it says he came And he says, freeing you from a fateful life of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Yeah, Moses had come and set God's people from the brutal tyranny at the hands of Pharaoh. Jesus comes and sets us free from the brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. This, my friends, is the good news of Jesus. Right, that we are set free from our past, we are given eternal life, and we are reconciled to God. Many of you have come to receive that good news, that free gift offered to us. Now, one thing that I find very interesting is when you look at most churches across the United States, you can usually divide most churches into two camps, conservatives and liberals, right? The conservative churches usually like to talk about Jesus setting people free from a, in a spiritual sense. He comes to give us new life. He's forgiven our debts. He, he forgives us our sins, and now we are reconciled to God. And if anything, they're almost afraid to talk, to talk about anything that Jesus talked about in his first sermon, where he talks about setting captives free, proclaiming freedom. In other words, doing good, doing justice, loving mercy, Progressive churches, on the other hand, love to talk about doing justice and loving mercy, right? About bringing God's uh, goodness into this world and spreading his love. But oftentimes, they keep an arm's length away from proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Well, here at Grace, uh, we are not an either-or church. We are a both-and church. Because we believe the good news encompasses both things, Right? It is both physical and spiritual. And so I want to talk a little bit about both of these things. And I want to start off by talking about something that, is, uh, that has been on my heart for many, many years. In fact, it has been a personal journey for me for almost 15 years. It, it began soon after my daughter was born. And you could imagine as a newborn father holding my daughter in her arms, in, his, in my arms, uh, I, I, I just, you know, and if you're a new dad, you just can't take your eyes off your, your uh, newborn child. I remember soon after she was born, I read this book called The Good News About Injustice by Gary Haugen. He's the founder of International Justice Mission. And um, up until that point, uh, I had no idea that slavery existed in our world. Again, this was back in like 2004 before uh, human trafficking and sex slavery became really trendy in our culture. I had heard of drug trafficking. I'd heard of arms trafficking. I had never heard of human trafficking. And as I read these stories, as I read his accounts, about halfway through the book, I remember feeling just shock 
and anger and rage. I still remember the emotions that I felt that boiled up as I read about the plight of millions of people, especially the most vulnerable, women and children and boys who were brought, bought and sold as commodities, denied their human rights, their, their dignity and honor as human beings made in the image of God being totally stripped away from them. In the book, he tells stories of young girls, for example, in Thailand, whose innocence were stolen from them, as men, mostly from the West, would violate them multiple times a night. He also talks about young boys in Uganda who were forced to kill their own parents and go engage in war instead of playing in the playground and going to school. I remember just shaking my head reading this book. And by the way, if you've not read this book, I would highly recommend it. It's one of those books I read many years ago, but has made a profound impact on me. And I remember after reading this thinking, like, how could there be so much evil in this world? How, like, there is just so much violence that I had no idea about. Right? And I never heard of it before reading this book. And again, because we are a church that is committed to both evangelism and social justice, we are a both-and church. I remember in the first few years of our church, when we first started Grace Ann Arbor back in 2009, we started partnering with a ministry and an organization called Saxom, a ministry that's in Cambodia dedicated to the rescue and restoration of the vulnerable and exploited and they train men and women in vocational skills, and they, they help them uh, provide a living for those who are sexually exploited. And so we have some of the products that were made by men and women and children from Cambodia. Right after service, if you want to, please go and take a look at them, purchase them for a loved one. Again, this is not about being consumeristic, because here's the thing. Each product that is sold is a tangible evidence of a life that has been changed. And so we ask the question, can Christmas still make a difference in the world today? This is, for many years, this is one of the ways that we say absolutely yes. Grace actually serves as one of the, uh, I think, 30 retailers in North America of Saxon. Ever since then, uh, now that we're like nine years into uh, uh, this uh, venture as a church, as a faith community, Recently, this past year, we've actually committed to a couple more partners that continue this fight against violence and human trafficking that I want to introduce to you today. One of them, the most recent one, is a partner called Destiny Rescue. They're an international Christian-based nonprofit that exists to rescue those who are enslaved in prostitution and sexual exploitation. They work especially in Southeast Asia, and uh, this past week, I had a chance to converse with some of their staff o- over Skype and just really learn more about their story and their mission and what they do. We as a church actually support uh, two rescue houses, houses that bring in young girls and young boys uh, from the sexual exploitation, one in Thailand and one in Cambodia. Uh, just, uh, I, I want to show you a short video of... of Destiny Rescue talking about how they go about their work. Uh, Take a moment and and check this out. Our trained rescue agents scour brothels, bars and streets to identify and free young lives trapped in modern day slavery. And rescue is just the first step in putting these broken lives back together. 
So when a girl first arrives into our care after she's been rescued, she'll be doing vocational training, life skills lessons, English studies. We have art therapy groups. We have programs that take girls through the journey of forgiveness as well. Um, and really just sets that foundation for continued healing to take place in the future. How does this situation affect me? What did this person do to me? These girls come from brokenness and they come from a shame culture. So we work towards showing them how much they are loved, that they are special, so valued, um, that nothing they've done in the past can stop them from doing whatever they want to do in the future. So we honour them and we value them and we want them to see that they are worth more than what they've done. Our goal is to reset damaged young lives, to release them from the bondage of traumatic pasts and send them out of our care with the skills, motivation and independence they will need to positively move forward with their lives. My hope for every child that we rescue is that they never return to the sex trade, but they get healed and they live full lives, that they find great relationships, that they get married, have a great family, and they live the destiny they were intended to have. Your support will help us find, rescue, restore and reintegrate thousands more children. Please consider joining with us today in our mission to turn broken young lives into beautiful young lives. One way as a church that you can consider and pray about even now is that we will be partnering with Destiny Rescue in 2019 by sending a team from Grace at all of our locations uh, to Thailand and Cambodia to visit some of the rescue houses that we actually support and to, uh, it's an opportunity to, to meet some of the girls that have been rescued, to, to get to know the volunteers and staff who are fighting to end child sex trafficking. We will be going about this time next year. And maybe you're thinking, well, man, that's so far away. Here, here's what I would ask. Begin to pray and consider. Uh, even now. Because, again, I think once you go, if you've never been on a mission trip, I would just encourage you to pr pray about that because once you go, your life will never be the same. I was talking to one young woman this past week and uh, as we were talking about mission trips, she just started off the conversation by blurting out, uh, I hate mission trips. Kind of took me aback. I'm kind of like, oh, okay, like what do you have against it? Is it like it doesn't really do, do much or is it, is it the money? Wh what is it? And she's like, no, I just hate, hate mission trips. Like, well, explain to me. Well, because I know that my life right now, like I'm living a life that is comfortable, I'm doing what I think God wants me to do, and yet I know God is chasing me down. I know God wants me to live a more fully surrendered life. And I said, okay. And she said, I hate mission trips because I know that when I go, that if I go, that God will do a work in my heart that he may not have opportunity to do otherwise in the comfort of my own home, in the comfort of my own routines. So yes, I want to go, but I hate mission trips. I don't want to go because I know what God's going to do in my life. I mean, that was really profound. Again, I would ask you to consider going. If you feel like you can't go, here's another thing. We, we're not just committed to fighting human trafficking and uh, exploitation of, of sex trafficking globally. We're also committed to that locally. 
we actually partner with a local organization uh, called Michigan Abolitionist Project. The head of the Ann Arbor chapter is actually a, a member of Grace Church. And, um, and so you may think like, well, Michigan, really? That happens here? Well, Michigan is actually in the top five states in the entire United States for where the most human trafficking occurs. It may be even in the top three from last time I remember. Top three where human trafficking occurs. And in fact, uh, he, there was an article recently where I read that the, the uh, one event where human trafficking, sexual exploitation happens more than any other time of the year happens right here in Metro Detroit at the International Auto Show. Right? Federal Bureau of Investigation warns people here to keep your eyes out because that's when human trafficking occurs. Let me just say this. It's not just Metro Detroit. Michigan Abolitionist Project, if, if you want to know more information, they will go to hotels and, and talk to owners and managers, and they do what they can to spread the news. Recently, and just in case you think, well, we live in Ann Arbor, right? I mean, that doesn't happen here. Yeah, a pimp was recently arrested, and there was uh, girls that have been rescued recently because of the work of Michigan Abolitionist Project and law enforcement and so many others who are fighting uh, against human trafficking. And so it may be we have training days here at different times, different events where you could be a part of an outreach. Consider going. Step out of your comfort zone. Because again, we live in a violent world. And this year, Christmas can just be about buying gifts, consumerism. You get to Christmas, you're exhausted, you're tired, and you're, you, you're, you've spent all your money. Or you could change the narrative of Christmas. Right? Violence, again, is ultimately defined by the action of one person against another, trying to save their life by hurting somebody else. And violence says, again, what does it say? Your life for mine. Here's the two things to consider. First of all, the good news of Jesus comes, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He comes to rescue us, and he does not say, your life for mine. He actually says the opposite. He comes to set us free, to deliver us and rescue us from sin and death, and he says, no, 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 it's my life for yours. You don't do anything. I will give up my life so that you can be free from the slavery of sin and death. I will come in and rescue you from that bondage. And so some of you know that. And can I encourage you if, you, if you don't know that this Christmas, this Advent season, would you embrace Jesus as the only source of your peace? If you're struggling, if you're battling with hurt and pain and loneliness and loss and violence even, maybe even in your own home, right? let's place our hope and peace in Christ alone. Right? Let's just remember that it's Jesus alone that gives us that kind of peace. He's the one that offers to it to us today. And those of you, us who do know Jesus, who it, and he is our peace, let's consider this. Will we, as a people of God, even as we look around this violent world and see so much violence, will we look back during this celebration of Advent, look back to what God has done on the cross, and will we look forward to the day when he will make his promise true to come and wipe out pain, suffering, violence, and oppression one day? And in the meantime, will we be his agents of peace and reconciliation? Will we be his herald of grace and mercy 
more than anything else this Christmas, better than buying a new toy or a new TV screen, the best gift you could give somebody today is the gift of peace, the gift of grace, the gift of Jesus. How can we partner with changing the world by saying, like Jesus, sacrificing my life for yours? Let's bow our heads and pray. And so God, sometimes our hearts are just overwhelmed by the suffering and the violence that we see all around us. And in this moment, as we pause, as we stand in in your presence, we want to recognize you as the Prince of Peace. We want to remember the story of God's faithfulness, not only in, in your people, but in our lives. We want to look forward to that day when you will come, not as a tiny baby, but as a conquering king, to come and rule rightfully to bring about this new heaven and new earth that all of our hearts long and ache for. And so, Jesus, today, we surrender our lives to you. We love you because you have come and delivered us and rescued us from the bondage of sin and slavery. Amen.